1 Samuel chapter 17. If you don't know, Samuel contains the story where David faces Goliath. And what we're doing is we're spending five weeks looking at this chapter, the same chapter, because there's so much in it, discovering five small disciplines that can make a big difference in our trajectory this year. Now, as we're looking at this passage, we're, we're doing it through the lens of this object lesson called a slingshot. And th this slingshot, you know, it's the reason we're looking at it that way is because these aren't just disciplines. I want you to see that these are actually a secret weapon to, to help you, help propel you into God's purpose and really launch you into your divine destiny. And before I get into the message today, and maybe I should have done it week, week one, I need you to know that I know that David did not use a slingshot to defeat Goliath. He, he didn't. So I, I don't need you to, to write me an email why the whole premise for this series is wrong. <laughs> I know he didn't use a slingshot. This, this here is a slingshot. This is not what David used. David used a weapon called a sling. And though they're similar, they're actually different. But sometimes I like to use an object lesson, a little physical illustration to, to help you connect with the truth of God's word. Because that's what Jesus did. If you, if you look at the life of Jesus, when he would preach, he would always take a subject and maybe tell a parable. Or he would connect it with something physical and visual that the people could grab hold of. Like he would say, hey, why, why are you so worried and he point to the birds. You see the birds? Your heavenly father, he has his eye on every single one of them. There is not a one that falls to the ground without him knowing it. And you're concerned about your life? Don't worry. God, God has his eye on you. He's got you. You don't need to worry about that. Sometimes, you know, to create a contrast, he would point to a mountain. So you see that big mountain right there? If you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you'd be amazed at what God can do in your life. Like if you would, if you would just take and believe a little bit, you could see God do a lot in your life. So, so Jesus used these physical illustrations, and sometimes I like to do that as well because it helps drive it home. But I'm just saying that because I, I want to talk about a slingshot in this series through these Five disciplines that will make a big difference to get a grip, we learned the first week, that, that we can't let things get loose in our life. When things get loose, things get lost. We, we've got to grab hold of the disciplines and grab hold of the faith. We've got to take aim. You've got to have vision. You've got to take aim with the things that are already in, inside of you. We're talking about these disciplines. When I do that, I, I know that he didn't actually use a slingshot. I also know that when you think about a sling, he probably didn't use the same kind of sling that you think about. Because we've seen all those paintings and pictures and children's books. And you got David, you know, he's like got a loincloth that he's wearing. And he's got like this leather piece that he's swinging around and facing Goliath with all this armor. You've seen that same picture too. It probably wasn't like that. Probably what he used looks something more like this. This is a sling. And, and the reason we know it was more like this because this would have been very common for shepherds to use during the day. But the other reason we know that is because there, there's clues in the text. This is called a staff sling, but it was also called a sling. And just to point this out to you, in Scripture, in verse 40, 
we see that he picked up five smooth stones from a stream, put them in his shepherd's bag, and armed only with his staff and sling, he started across, he started across to Goliath. So why would he grab his staff and sling? Because they were connected. You look at it in verse 43, just a couple of verses more. Goliath says to David, what's that stick for? You think I'm a dog? And he called down the curses from his God. So really, David used something like this. It was a staff sling. And I'm just trying to set, set that up so you don't get tripped up with the slingshot metaphor. Because my aim is, is always to, to pull you in. I, I want to pull everybody in, whether you've got the New Testament memorized or, or you think the book of Job is a job. Which, whichever one, <laughs> I, I want to help you today. So let's read this together. First uh, Samuel chapter 17, verse 12 is where we're starting. David was the son of Jesse, who was an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons at the time. Saul was king. He was already a very old man. His three oldest sons had gone with Saul to war. The oldest, Eliab. Next was Abinadab. It's a great baby name. Anybody who's pregnant. The third was Shammah. Kind of sounds like you're speaking in tongues when you say it. Shammah. But David was the youngest son. And while the three oldest brothers stayed with Saul, David, what you know is this, David would go back to Bethlehem from time to time to take care of his father's sheep. Little context here. What you might not know is that by the time we get to the story of David and Goliath, David was already in the service of Saul. You discover this in chapter 16, the previous chapter, a little context on it, is Samuel the prophet goes to anoint David, young shepherd boy, as king in secret. Nobody knows about it. It's in the presence of his brothers, in the presence of his father. Nobody knows about it. You read on... There, there's this literary device that the writer uses. It's interesting. After David is anointed as king, it says, From that time, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Why is that important? The very next verse says, The Spirit departed Saul. So we don't know the time difference, but what we see, the, the writers want us to see, is as the Spirit comes on David, the Spirit departs Saul. And we don't know why, we don't know how exactly, but what we learn, what happens next, is that Saul is troubled in his mind. He becomes tormented. He becomes oppressed. And so the servants, they, they see that, that Saul is he's unstable, he's mentally ill, he, he's irate, he's tormented. They come up with this idea. They said, I know, what we need to do is we need to get a musician. And the musician can play some soothing music and maybe that'll help soothe Saul in his soul. So that's what they do. And somebody, again, it doesn't mention who, says, I, I, I know somebody we, sh we should ask. There's this guy, Jesse, who has a son, David. He's good looking, much like your pastor. He's, <laughs> you didn't have to laugh at that. He, he, he's athletic. He's a warrior. He, and, and he's a great musician. And, and, and so they, they call David, and he comes before Saul, and Saul likes him so much, he says, David, I want you to remain in my service. That's where we're at when we get to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I got to say, I, I like David. I like David because he was a straight shooter. It's a joke. Thank you. I, I, like, I like David because 
you, you see it in his interactions with all the people leading up to Goliath, right? Like when he comes on the scene, Goliath is launching his taunts. And it was like, who does this guy think he is insulting God? You, you see the, the nation of Israel, all the soldiers fearful. And he's like, you guys, you guys don't need to be afraid of him. He's big. God's bigger. Like, you're looking at this all wrong. When Saul, you know, he's uncertain about David's capabilities, David starts saying, hey, look, Saul, I've killed a lion. I've killed a bear with my hands. And this giant is going to be just like one of them. Like, David, he, he, he gave it to him straight. I'm just trying to say David was an accomplished guy. David was a driven guy. He was a driven guy because he was anointed at a young age. He, he is an accomplished musician, so much so that when they're looking for somebody to soothe Saul, they think of David. He, he's known for this. And he's got all these accolades and, and trophies on, on his resume. Clearly, David is ambitious. That's the point that I'm trying to make. That's why it's interesting to me that when he got to the palace by God's divine providence, that he didn't keep pushing. I mean, imagine this for a moment. You are anointed to be the successor to a nation. You, you know what this means. You know you've been chosen. You know God's hand is on you. Through no effort of your own, you're brought into the king's court, the palace. You're seen with your eyes. The current king is troubled. I mean, all this time you're, you're evaluating. It's like, man, he's messing up there. He's messing up there. I, I know what's on me. Plus the resume that you've got, everything you've done up to this point, whether your, your integrity, your faithfulness, your accomplishments. And David just decides to wait. He just decides, I'm, I'm going to chill. It, it, it's good. After all these things, it's, it's surprising to me that he didn't push for more. And there's nothing wrong with a push every little now and then. Honestly, I feel like that's part of my job as your pastor. Give you a little push on the weekend. Well, we all need a push every now and then. We all need a push to, you know, move forward with the things that God has for us. To be reminded of, of what God has. Just, just a little nudge. Really, that, that's what the worship team does when they get up here. Like, you understand, they're not performing for you. They're worshiping to give you a little push so you can worship God. Just, just a push in the right direction. There's nothing wrong with a little push, nothing wrong with, with a little nudge. And as we're talking about launching into the things that God has for us, I, I, I just wanted to illustrate this principle for you. Because um, we're talking about you got to get a grip. Talk about you got to take aim. And as we get ready this year, let's, let me shoot this on the count of three. Looking for anybody not taking notes. Ready? One. Two, three. Okay, that, that didn't quite go like what I thought. Let me try this again. Got my shepherd's pouch here. So um, as we want to launch forward, people feeling very nervous right now. I'll, I might just preach with this in my hand the whole time. On the count of three, one, two, three. This is, am I doing something wrong here? 
what, what am I doing wrong? I thought you got to get a grip. You got to take aim. And then, oh, I got to pull back. Not push forward. I got to pull back. See if I can see how the production team is doing. So, so, so what you're telling me, what you're telling me is that I can't keep pushing ahead with this. If, if I want to reach what I'm aiming for, I got to pull back. And here's what I want to talk to you about in our third discipline. We learned a good grip. We learned to take aim. Today, we're going to talk about pull back. The discipline that is going to help you launch forward this year is to pull back. Because if you try to push your way into this, you're not going to get very far. If you try and push your way into this, you can look as stupid as I did up here, trying to push a slingshot. You, you, you can't push your way into this. You, you have to pull back. And that's hard because my natural tendency is to push ahead. Like, I think it's good to get a push. I think some people need a push. This is what I want you to get. But this year, you cannot push yourself into God's purpose. You've got goals. You've got things you're shooting for. You've got your eyes on something. Let me tell you, you are not going to get there by pushing through and pushing ahead and pushing for more. I noticed that in this text, it wasn't David's pushing that propelled him forward. It was the fact that instead of pushing ahead, from time to time, this is what it says in verse 15, from time to time, he would go back to tend for his father's sheep. And it was actually while he was back in Bethlehem that I want to read to you where the story picks up. Verse 17 it says, one day, Jesse said to David, take a half bushel of this roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and hurry with them to your brothers in the camp and take these 10 cheeses to the commanding officer. Find out how your brothers are getting along and bring back something to show that you saw them and that they're well. King Saul, your brothers, and all the Israelites are in Elah Valley fighting the Philistine. So David got up early the next morning, left someone else in charge of the sheep, took the food, and went as Jesse had told him. Now we talked about the significance of this battle week one. How up until this point, yes, he's been anointed, but he's unknown. Up until this point, all he's doing is serving his dad and serving Saul. After this battle, that's the moment where everything changes. This battle is what launches him into his next season. It's this battle that puts him in the spotlight. But the thing that brought him before this battle was the fact that he had gone back to Bethlehem where he could receive an instruction from his father. And I thought it was kind of funny because like when, when I read scripture, I like to, when I study for these sermons, I, I like to read scripture in all these different translations. And one of the translations I was reading about this instruction, this is how I put it. It said, and Jesse said to his son David, he said, take now for your brothers these 10 cakes and also carry these 10 fresh cheeses and look how they fare. And I don't know, maybe it's because I was hungry, but it made me think of this. Um, I think of cheesecake. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been to the Cheesecake Factory 
it's, uh, it's, it's quite delicious. And uh, I, th th this week I, I actually ate at the Cheesecake Factory with my son Oliver and decided to bring with me to church today a, a copy of the Cheesecake Factory menu. I'm not going to tell you how I got it. <laughs> but but uh, I, I don't know if you've been to the Cheesecake Factory. It's, it, it's very good. Highly recommend it. If you're looking for a gift, gift cards to the Cheesecake Factory are always welcome. But the thing that stresses me out about the Cheesecake Factory is really everything. Because, because from the moment they set this menu on the table, I notice it begins to shake from the weight of everything contained in here. Like, I go to the Cheesecake Factory because I'm hungry and I want some cheesecake, not because I wanted to do a reading assignment and do a book report afterwards. I didn't know there was required reading to order. But if you don't know the story of Cheesecake Factory, they'd actually tell you in the menu, page one, I'll give you a brief little synopsis. 1940, there was this woman who loved to bake, and she also happened to love cheesecake. She read about this epic cheesecake recipe in the newspaper. She had a newspaper clip, and she said, I, I want to make this cheesecake. Made it. Everybody loved it. Because she was a proficient baker, she decided, I I'm going to perfect this. And she perfected her own original cheesecake recipe. Well, years would go on. Her family, her, her sons and daughters, they, they wanted to share this cheesecake with the world, which personally I think is a very good thing for everybody to have cheesecake. So they started a restaurant in 1970 known as the Cheesecake Factory. It's been a success. That's why it's interesting to me when I opened up the menu that a restaurant that was started for cheesecake, whose namesake is cheesecake, whose sole purpose is to showcase a famous cheesecake, doesn't list the cheesecake on page one. It's drinks. Well, not just page one. Actually, page two and three are also drinks. So I'm sure it's on the next page because you might want drink with your cheesecake. But page five is actually small plates and snacks, which is not to be confused with appetizers. Those are something completely different. <laughs> appetizers are on the next page. Correction, two pages. One of which I thought this was inter interesting. Um, they have appetizers on one side. They also have appetizer salads. It's not a regular salad. It's a salad of the appetizer variety. <laughs> There's also flatbread pizzas if you're in the mood for something like that. Um, if you go to the next page, there's not cheesecake. Lunch specials is what is next. Um, I thought it was because lunch specials, what is on the lunch specials? Well, salad, but not appetizer salad. That's a different kind of salad. Um, there's, there's also pizzas on the lunch specials, but not flatbread pizzas. Those are different. If you want something that's not a lunch special, you might consider the Glam Burgers. I can only assume means glamorous hamburger, but I've never had one because I go to the Cheesecake Factory for cheesecake. So let's see, we're on page 9, maybe page 10. No, page 10, you might be surprised, salads. Not the appetizer salads and not the lunch salads. This is a different kind of salad. 
And on page 11, there's also some sandwiches, not the glam burgers, because glam burgers are not a sandwich, it's the glamorous hamburger. So, okay, specialties, clearly. Because the specialty at Cheesecake Factory is the cheesecake, except in this case, it starts with the Thai coconut lime chicken. Which sounds good. I personally prefer the bang bang chicken and shrimp, favorite of, of mine. But um, more special, these are different specialties. Sorry, pasta is the next specialty. Uh, page 15. Another specialty is fish and seafood. Specialty, I'm beginning to think everything is special. Of course, if everything is special, then maybe nothing is special. Special side dishes, okay. Clearly, 17. We're going to get to the cheesecake, which is the reason the restaurant was founded by mom in 1948. But no, page 17 is eggs and omelets. And uh, eggs and omelets, they are served all day, in case you're wondering. And you guys are in luck today because on page 18, it tells us that Saturday and Sunday, you can get brunch. So if you're in the mood after church, if I'm making anybody hungry, you can go to the Cheesecake Factory and take advantage of the special menu on page 18. Now, finally, when we get to page 19, here we are. We are at the Cheesecakes, which is the name of the restaurant and why this restaurant was founded. And you may think, what does this have to do with anything? I'm using this illustration because I'm concerned that sometimes our lives can look a little bit like eating at the Cheesecake Factory. I mean, you came to church, maybe not everybody, but most people here are here because you've placed your faith in Christ. You're a Christian. It's your identity. It's the label. But I don't know, just observation, a cursory glance, I wonder if maybe though we say we're building our lives on Christ and his purpose from observation and experience, seems like maybe that's just an afterthought. It's an interesting contrast with another restaurant that started in 1940. Another restaurant where you can order one of these on the menu. And uh, what you might not know about this restaurant, In-N-Out Burger, is that since they've started in 1948, they've only had four food items on the menu. I'm going to list them for you. You can get a hamburger. You can get a cheeseburger. You can get a double cheeseburger known as the double-double. Or you can get a french fries. Of course, there's, you know, fifth item beverage. But these four items since 1948, what I'm trying to say is... Many of us, by using that whole example, I want you to experience God's power in your life to propel you forward. I want you to experience what God has for you, but for many of us, his word has no potency in our life because we've diluted our life with so many other things. And when I'm telling you to pull back, what I'm trying to help you see is that the secret to concentration is elimination. The secret to potency is purity. The, the secret to a greater focus 
is to have less filler. If you want to experience what God has for you, let me put it this way. The devil doesn't have to talk us out of the best that God has for us. All he has to do is talk us into more of what's mediocre. And if we're not careful, our homes, our hearts, our lives, our schedules, our souls, start looking a lot more like this. We, we say we're pursuing Christ. We say hey, we're following, we're building our lives on his purpose, but it is all the way at the back. A lot of good things. I, I love this place. A lot of good things in here. But crowding out the ultimate thing. And this is challenging for us, especially as Americans, because we live in a world where more is equated with better. Well, more opportunities, more invitations, more exposure, more excitement, more thrills, more adventure, more, more, uh, more interests, more hobbies, more features, more celebrations. We want more in our life. But the secret to a fruitful life isn't to try to pack as much in as you can. The secret to a fruitful life is to prune stuff back. You got to pull back. I'm telling you, this is the word of the Lord for you this year. This isn't supposed to be a year of more. Your, your word is to prune. You got to pull some stuff back. You want to be fruitful? You're allowing too many things in. It's like when I write a sermon, understand, I, I study, I read a lot, I make notes. But my goal in writing a sermon isn't to tell you everything that I know. My goal in writing a sermon is, isn't to tell you everything that I studied. I, I'm trying to get you a point, something powerful that can impact your life. And it's interesting because I go through this process called editing where I remove what I think is unnecessary. Without fail, every week I'll have like five pages of content that I've written that never makes it into a message that I would give you. Now, you might think like, hey, that's, that's kind of interesting. I'd like to know what that is. But the, the truth is, if you've ever watched an extended cut of a movie, like, it's interesting to, oh, that could have been in there. But what you realize from watching it is that it's a much better product by what was taken out. And, and the things that are holding you back is not all the stuff that you need to add into your life this year. The things that are holding you back are what you need to remove. Many of us, if we, if we were honest right now, we don't have room to breathe. We, we've got zero margin in our budgets. We have zero margin in our schedules. We have zero margin with our families. And before we know it, our lives start looking like this. We get bloated with more things because we think that it's helping us. But it's not helping. God can't do what he wants to do in our life be, because we are adding so much in that we've choked out the fruitfulness of his word. If I could just be really transparent with many of you, I, I think some of us have let the name that is above every name just become one name among many. One name at the end of a lot of names. That's why I encourage our, our church to, to fast. 
usually during this time of year, we'll, we'll talk about fasting. It's this time to, to, to pull back on some things, to set some things aside. And this year, every year I'll try and encourage you in a discipline. This year we're focusing on 1 Samuel 17, these five disciplines. And we're asking everybody to, to join us on Tuesdays to pray. You can come at 8.30 to 9.30 and pray with us in the morning. You can come in the evening from 7 to 8 and, and pray. But here's just a thought. What, what if you would fast on Tuesday? Fast on Tuesday and come pray with us. So, well, what would that look like? Well, in, in Scripture, when you hear about fasting, fasting is always connected to prayer. And it's also always connected to food. I'm sorry for everybody who wants to fast social media. That's not in the Bible. You can do it. It's good. But I'm just saying fasting is always connected to, to food. What would happen if you just like, I'm going to skip lunch that day. Before I eat again, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come pray. Or, or I'm, I'm going to fast that evening meal. And I, I'm going to wait to eat after prayer, just to, to fast, to, to pull back. What is fasting about? It's, it's about learning to say no. So, so, some of you need to learn the art of, of saying no. And in fact, let me say it this way. We need to grow our no so God can bless our yes. Grow your no so God can bless your yes. I, I'm going to talk about this more next week, but I, I want to show it to you in Scripture because when David says, Saul, hey, don't worry about it, I got it. Saul says, no, you, you don't have enough. You, you don't have what you need. And so he says, I, I'm going to put my armor on you. And here's a bronze helmet. And he put a coat of mail on him. And then he gave him a sword. And David tried to walk around with it. But he couldn't walk with it. So he said, Saul, no. No. I, I'm not going to wear this stuff. It's not helping me. And some of us need to grow our no for the things that the culture of the world is trying to put on us. And you're wondering why you're having a hard time walking by faith. It's because you've allowed the world to put some things on you that you need to say no to. You got you to grow your no. And I know it's challenging. It is. Let me say it this way. If you can't be involved in church because you're too busy every place else, you need to grow your no. You, you've got some wrong, wrong priorities. Don't give your life to things that you cannot take with you that are not eternal. I, I'm telling you, Velocity Church, I want to help you grow this year. I want to help you go for what God has to launch into his purpose. And you are not going to get there unless you learn these words, N-O. No to so much of the stuff. How do I do this, Pastor? Okay. You don't have to have your kids in every freaking sport activity. I love sports. My kids are in them. They don't have to be in every single one. I'll tell you something else. You don't have to go to every game that interferes with church. You can say no. We're not doing that. Okay, that's the sports people. You don't have to go to every wedding you're invited to. You don't have to go to every birthday party you're invited to. You don't have to fill up your weekend with every activity. No. 
You, you don't have to. And I'm trying to help you. You're wondering, why don't I have the power of God in my life? Because you have filled your life with so much stuff that it's lost. You got to grow. You know, but what are people going to think about me? You know, you don't have to be held hostage by other people's expectations. Why am I encouraging you with this? Because the wrong people will keep you from the right things. You have a God-given destiny. You have a God-ordained purpose. And it is too valuable and too important to sacrifice on the altar of things that have no eternal value. I'm not saying any of these are bad things. Lots of good things. But you are filling your life with so much that you don't have God's power in your life. That's why I like what David did. We already know that Saul tried to put stuff on him that wasn't helpful, would have kept him from his divine destiny. It wasn't just Saul, it was his brothers too. His oldest brother, Eliad, he didn't like when David came on the scene. So he said to him, why have you come down here? Who did you leave those sheep with? I know you're conceited. You have a wicked heart. You came down only to watch the battle. Now keep in mind, David is God's anointed. David has a pure heart, pure motives. David wants to give God glory. David wants to bring freedom and victory to the people of Israel. Everybody else is reacting in fear. David is responding in faith. But notice what he does. He says, what have I done? Can I even speak? Verse 30 is what I want you to notice. He turned away to someone else. Sometimes you have to pull away from pushy people. I'm not saying bad people. I'm not saying evil people. I'm saying sometimes you have to pull away from people that are trying to pressure you into the culture of the world. That's what Romans 12.1 says. Don't be conformed to this world. Message translation says don't be pressed, pressured, pushed into the mold of this culture. And I know it's, it's a shift in our thinking because if you're like me, you're used to pushing ahead. You're, you're not going to get where you need to go this year by pushing ahead, by pushing through, by pushing forward. You got to pull back. You want God's power, you got to pull back. And, and what's hard is it's uncomfortable. And oftentimes when we pull back, it can feel stretching. Don't, don't resist the stretch. Your, your victory is on the other side of a stretch. The next level is on the other side of a stretch. God's plan for you, God's purpose for you, it's on the other side of a stretch. What God wants to do, in your, it's on the other side, of, but you're going to have to pull back. It's going to be stretching, but don't resist the stretch. God has good plans for you on the other side of a stretch. 